Scripture reading this evening will be read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 through 22. See that no one renders evil for evil to know anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and every, everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench it. The spirit, do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Good evening and welcome. We're grateful for your presence. We're always thankful for the opportunity that we have to be together. We are very grateful for this week being Thanksgiving week. And as God's people, we have a lot to be thankful for. And as we sang just a moment ago, we ought to count our blessings and name them one by one. It is a great blessing to be a child of God, to have the opportunity to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We're thankful that you chose, that you have chosen to be here tonight, and it is our prayer that our time spent together tonight will be profitable, that we will grow closer to God and closer to one another as His children. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the passage that was read just a moment ago by Tanner. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 15 and following. And as you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, you read about a group of people that had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, as Paul points out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silas had spent some time in the city of Thessalonica. There they had preached the gospel and the gospel had fallen on honest and good hearts and thus yielded fruit. And so when you come to the latter part of chapter five, you have what I would call some bullet points, some very concise or succinct bullet points for Christian living. And I believe that what Paul says in the latter part of chapter five these bullet points are applicable to those of us who are alive and well today. So I want us to talk for just a moment or two about some marks or traits of Christian living. And I want you to note these very succinct statements that are made by the Apostle Paul and note how they relate to Christian living. And really, when we talk about Christianity, we're, we're talking about a religion that we are to internalize and live out in our daily lives. We are to allow the Word of God to find a home in our hearts and thus we are to, to demonstrate the Spirit of Christ as we sojourn here upon this earth. So note if you would first of all the exhortation to be merciful in verse 15. Paul said, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Let me just begin by saying that one of the challenges of life, and really this is a challenge that those of us who are in the body of Christ face from time to time, and that is retaliation. Sometimes it's difficult for us to remember who we are, that we belong to the Lord, and that we are to rise above a retaliatory spirit. And sometimes as members of the body of Christ, we fall prey to retaliating. And yet the Bible tells us that we're not to render evil for evil. In Romans chapter 12 at verse 17, Paul would say, repay no one evil for evil. He would go on to say, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, 
But he said, rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Though it sometimes is difficult to do, you and I need to have a merciful, compassionate spirit. We need not take matters into our own hands, but rather we need to do the very best. Well, we really need to do our very best to rise above retaliating or repaying evil for evil. Now, look again at the command. We talk about the challenge. Somebody wrongs us. Somebody says or does something to us. And so immediately we want to, we want to try to settle the score. Well, Paul said that's not how we, we are to, to react in the face of provocation. But note, if you would, the command. Again, listen to what Paul said. See that no one renders evil for evil. Let me give you an example. I think about the Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, or rather in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible tells us that when Christ was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Jesus was the creator. He was the agent by which the world was made. And yet, when you look back to the gospel narratives, you'll find that Jesus, during the trial, before his crucifixion, he was inhumanely treated. And yet, how did he react? Well, I think that that is a great example for those of us within the body of Christ and the idea is that, that we look at the example of Christ, we think about how Jesus responded in the face of provocation. And you and I, we need to have that same attitude. Now Jesus said while on the cross, and think about all of the, the inhumane things that were said and done to him. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You and I, and it's really not a part of our lesson, we could spend a whole lesson talking about this, but if someone wrongs us, as Jesus said in Luke 17, we go and tell them what they've done to us. If they repent, what do we do? We forgive them. And so that's the spirit that we need to have. But the idea is, first of all, we need to be merciful. But then there's a second thing. Look, if you would, at verse 16. We are not only to be merciful, but Paul said we are to be joyful. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Rejoice always. Is it not the case that as members of the body of Christ, you and I have a great deal to be joyful about? Is it not the case that you and I have been richly blessed? Think about for just a moment our riches in Christ. The Bible tells us that every spiritual blessing resides in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3. We have been immeasurably lavished upon with any number of blessings. Those blessings are spiritual, physical, material, mental, and nature. And we'll talk just a moment, in just a moment, about the thankfulness that we need to, to manifest in this life. But I want you to just think for a moment about our riches in Christ. And let me just share with you some ideas along this line. First of all, I think about our contentment in Christ. Paul said in, in the book of Philippians in chapter four, I have learned in whatever state I am in, therein to be content. Now we're talking about the idea of being joyful. In Philippians 4 verse 4, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. When Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, do you know where he was? He was in prison. And yet Paul is saying, in prison, rejoice. This morning we looked at Paul and Silas in jail. They had been beaten, their feet had been fastened in stocks. They were in the city of Philippi. And the Bible says at midnight they prayed and sang hymns or praises to God. 
And so I really believe that as Christians, we have this deep-seated joy that is unknown to those in the world. There are a lot of people in our world today, think about this for a moment. Their, their outlook on life is dictated by externals. Our outlook on life is not necessarily dictated by externals, but rather by our inward relationship to the Lord. That's why I believe Paul could say rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And so we have contentment. And also in Philippians chapter four, Paul would say, I have learned in whatever state I'm in therein to be content. Contentment is a learned state of mind. You and I have to learn to be content. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter six, godliness with contentment is great gain. He would say we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. There are a lot of, there are a lot of people in America. There are a lot of people in our society, in our culture. Their contentment is based on what they have, materially speaking. Their contentment is based on the kind of job they have. Their contentment is based on how things are going economically in their lives. Well, that wasn't the case for Paul. And Paul here in writing to the saints in Thessalonica said rejoice always. So you and I, we have these great riches, these great resources in Christ. In Philippians 4 verse 19, Paul said, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God, you are rich beyond words. You may not know that, but you are rich. So our contentment in Christ, and then think about our confidence in Christ. Listen again, Paul said rejoice always. That means rejoice in good times and bad times. That means rejoice in the joys and the frustrations of life. Is that easy? Not always. Think about what James said in James chapter one at verse two. When he said, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials or the various trials of life. When you and I face the difficulties of life, we can still maintain a positive, optimistic spirit. What about our confidence in Christ? Who is it that's gonna see us through the good times and the bad times, the highs, the lows, the joys, the frustrations of life? Let me tell you who. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 4 verse 13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I believe that we have contentment in Christ, we have confidence in Christ, and then there is a third thing that ought to be a reason for us to rejoice as his people. And that is our care in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, cares deeply for each of us. The Bible says the very hairs of our head are numbered. If you don't think God in heaven cares about you, you need to reread the Bible. If you do not believe, if you're not convinced the Lord Jesus Christ cares about you, I would encourage you to spend the next few days immersing yourself in scripture because you will come away with the conclusion, God in heaven cares for me. The Lord Jesus Christ cares about me. Now, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care on him, listen to him, for he cares for you. Why shouldn't we rejoice? Why shouldn't we be grateful for a loving God in heaven? Now, Paul said, rejoice always. Look at the ministry of the apostle Paul. I suspect that Paul faced more difficulties in life, more setbacks in the eyes of many than he did positive things. 
And yet you see him faithfully fighting onward, maintaining this joyful spirit. So our riches in Christ, but also our, our reward in Christ. In Luke chapter 10 at verse 20, Jesus said, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There are a lot of reasons why I as a child of God might be, might be joyful in this life. But the thing that ought to bring me the greatest source of satisfaction is knowing my name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation chapter 20, when John pictures that great and final day of judgment, he said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And he said, another book was opened, which is the book of life. In Philippians chapter 4, the apostle Paul identifies those whose names are recorded or written in the book of life. If you are a child of God, in other words, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and you have repented of every sin, confessed his name before others, and been immersed in a watery grave of baptism, then you have the assurance of knowing that your name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Now, granted, there is this exhortation to be faithful until death, but as children of God, as people who are walking in the light, as he is in the light, we have the assurance that the blood of Christ is constantly at work in our lives, and we have the knowledge of knowing that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. That ought to be reason enough for us, as Paul said, to rejoice always. A third thing, look at verse 17. We are to be merciful, we are to be joyful, and we are to be prayerful. Listen now to what Paul said in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. I would submit unto you that prayer is one of the great spiritual blessings afforded those of us in the family of God. To know that we can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Let me just share with you three very quick things about prayer. Number one, the privilege of prayer. You and I, as God's people, we have the privilege of coming before the throne of God in prayer, day or night, 24-7. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. Did you know that God is always attentive to your prayers? Solomon said in the long ago that God delights in the prayers of the righteous. When you come before the throne of God, you're not bothering him. You're not pestering him. But rather, it is a privilege as a child of God to come before his throne. And so you and I, we have that opportunity. Paul said, pray without, without ceasing. That brings me to a second thing about prayer. And that is the persistence of prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. In other words, prayer ought to be something that we do on a regular basis. It ought to be as natural to us as, as eating, sleeping, whatever, you know, whatever analogy you want to draw. Prayer is something that we ought to believe in. We ought to exercise the right, the privilege that we have as his children to pray on a daily basis. Now, there are a lot of verses that we could appeal to in Colossians 4 at verse 2, Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. 
And the idea is don't give up. Don't become so encumbered by the loads of life that you just walk away from everything. But pray. Do you have trials? Do you have troubles? Do you have tribulations? Do you have temptations in life? Pray. That's what the Lord's saying. Don't give up. Pray. The Hebrew writer said, let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you have needs in life? Let me tell you what, as a human being, I have needs. You have needs. We all have needs. So what are we supposed to do? Pray about it. That's what the Bible says. Pray. A third characteristic of prayer. We talk about the privilege of prayer, our persistence in prayer, but then the power of prayer. Let me tell you what, you and I as God's people, we have a tremendous, we have a tremendous ally at our disposal. That ally is the Lord. And one of the great spiritual blessings, as I said just a moment ago, that we have at our disposal is prayer. If you do not believe that prayer works in life, I would encourage you, go back and read your Bible. Prayer works. We have all seen I would hope prayer at work in our own lives. Here's what James said. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. All James is saying is prayer works. Do you believe that? We ought to believe in the power of prayer. We ought to know that when we come before the throne of God, he hears our prayers. Now, God may say yes. He may say no. He may say wait. But God is attentive to our prayers. And so... What a great blessing to know that as his children, we have his attentive ears. And then there is a fourth thing that we see in our lesson text, and that is we are to be thankful. Paul said, I want you to be merciful, I want you to be joyful, I want you to be prayerful, and I want you to be thankful. This is Thanksgiving week. And Paul said, in everything, give thanks. Listen to what he says in verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Two things along these lines. Number one, we ought to reflect on the abundance of our blessings. The song that we sang before our study tonight, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Is it not the case that sometimes we think about what we don't have rather than what we do have? You ever find yourself thinking about all the things you don't have rather than accentuating the things that you do have? The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from one source. That's Almighty God. The psalmist in Psalm 68 said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with blessings. Think about what the psalmist said. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ ever came to earth, the psalmist is saying, the Lord on a daily basis is loading us up with blessings. That ought to be of great encouragement to us to just sit down and contemplate all of the many blessings that we have. Some of the blessings that we have may seem minute to us, and then there are some blessings that are beyond the human vernacular. We just simply cannot describe them. I think about the material blessings that we have. The fact that we live in a world in an age of comfort, of ease, really of luxury. Look at what we have, materially speaking, as opposed to what 
people of bygone generations had. And, and, and when you look at all the blessings and favors that we have in this, in this modern era, it, it ought to make us get down on our hands and knees and thank the Lord. So our material blessings. What about the blessings that we have in the context of our family? If you have a good wife, as a husband, you ought to thank the Lord. As a wife, if you have a good husband, you ought to be grateful to Almighty God. If you have children, you ought to give God thanks. You ought to give God thanks for your grandchildren. These are just some blessings that you and I enjoy on a daily basis. Blessings that sometimes we take for granted. And how sad it is that many times it takes death to, to sober us up and make us realize what a blessing we had in a mate, a child, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, whatever the case may be. So all of the blessings and favors that we enjoy in this life. And then I would say that we ought to remember to be appreciative for our blessings. And the idea here is that we do not live as ingrates. God wants us to be thankful. We ought to be thankful. Listen again to what Paul said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. There are so many blessings that we have to be thankful for. Paul would say, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. In Philippians 4, verse 6, he said, And nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. How many times do you give God thanks for all of the many blessings he has so richly bestowed on you? How many times do we pause in the day and just say, thank you, Lord, for the material blessings of life, for the physical blessing. Listen, if you have your health, you're a millionaire and don't know it. Thank God for your physical blessings, your material blessings, for your family, for your friends. Thank God for the, the privilege of living in a country where we can come together on the first day of the week and we do not have to fear any kind of persecution. Thank God for the relationship that we enjoy with him through Jesus Christ. Thank God that we have the hope of heaven, that we have all these great blessings. Let me tell you what, when you start thinking about that song that we sang a moment ago, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I promise you, you get out a pen, a piece of paper this week, and you start enumerating all the blessings you have in this life, you're going to have a hard time getting them all on one sheet of paper. Just too many blessings. So, be thankful. And then there's a fifth thing, and that is we are to be watchful. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, Paul said, test or prove all things. Hold fast what is good. Now again, we're talking about here are some bullet points for Christian living. Here are some marks or traits that we're to live by. And so here, here the apostle Paul is saying what you need to do is put everything to the test. And the idea is whatever you hear, whatever somebody says, you need to test it by what? By this standard that we call the Bible. Now Paul said prove all things and then he said hold fast that which is good. That implies some things aren't good. And so what do we do? We we accept the good, we accept that which is right, 
and we reject that which is wrong. That, that's what Paul is saying here. Now, again, we talk about this standard by which all things are tested is what? It's the Bible. That's why this book is so important. This book, whether you and I realize it or not, this is the book that is the standard by which we live by. It is the pattern that you and I are to pattern our lives after. I've said this on many occasions, and I'll say it again because I don't think you can ever, I don't think you can ever, I don't think I can ever emphasize it enough. This book is going to judge us one day. If this book is going to judge me, in, in other words, if my life is going to be judged on the basis of the things that are recorded in this book, then it only stands to reason that everything that I hear, that I put it to the test. And I make sure that, that what is recorded in this book fits my life. I would do well to emulate those people who lived in the city of Berea, who searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. Don't just take my word for it, but Put what I say to the test. The standard, it's the word of God. James said, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. All he's saying is that you and I, we're gonna be judged on the basis of the law of Christ. Whatever we say, whatever we do, it needs to fall in line with this book, the Bible. Our lives need to be in harmony with this word, with this book. If our lives are in harmony with this book, then God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. If my life is not in harmony with what's recorded in this book, he's going to say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So, put it to the test. Paul's saying, test all things. We want to make sure that our lives are in harmony with the will of God. And then there's a sixth thing. And that is, we're to be careful. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, Paul said, abstain from every form of evil. So, here's what I take from this. You and I, we need to guard against, number one, evil associations. When, when you grow older in life, it, it may not be as difficult to identify with the right kind of people. But when you are young, there is always the threat, and I'm not saying that as we grow older in life, we can't associate with the wrong kind of people. We can. But it seems to me that the real danger faces young people. Because as, as young people are growing and maturing, they want to be accepted by their peers, by their classmates. And listen, our young people here, we have a great group of young people. But there are always people in the wrong crowd. And if you hook up with the wrong crowd, if you identify with the wrong crowd, guess what? You're going to find yourself in trouble more times than not. Listen again to what Paul said, abstain from every form of evil. Some translations say abstain from the very appearance of evil. There are, there are some passages in the scriptures that talk to us about our relationships. 
Solomon said, he that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. And the idea is, you run with the right kind of people, guess what? Your life's gonna, it's gonna represent that. You run with the wrong kind of people, again, your life's gonna, it's gonna reflect that. You run with wise people, by and large, you're gonna be a wise person. You, you run with a bunch of foolish people, guess what? You're gonna act like foolish people. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. You can't run with the devil and not end up living like the devil. That's what Paul's saying. Be careful. To our young people, I would say be careful. Make sure that you associate with the right kind of friends. So, guard against evil associations. But then there's a second thing. Guard against evil activities. This has to do with, with where we go and what kind of things we engage in. Now, I want to say this, and I know that, I, 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 listen, I've been, as, as, as David said on one occasion, I was young and now I'm old. If you're a young person, if you're a teenager, I have been where you are. And if you live long enough, you will be where I am. But here's the bottom line. You need to protect your reputation. You need to guard your reputation. And by that, I mean you need to choose your friends carefully. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 12. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. So, choose the right kind of friends. And that has to do with your associations. But then, your activities. You need to be careful where you go. And I know that there are, a lot of, there are a lot of young people that will disagree with what I have to say, but trust me, I'm right on this. There is nothing good that happens after midnight. Does that make sense? Look at, look at the evening news. I see our young people smiling. Look at the evening news. Read the newspaper. The people that are getting cut up, shot up, beaten up, and the people that from time to time get killed. Those activities happen when? By and large, they happen after midnight. There is nothing good that happens after midnight. You can get out and you can run up and down the highway in an automobile and, and listen, the only thing can come from that is bad things. You can get out, you can load your car up and you can run around and do all kinds of things. Again, nothing good happens after midnight. When I was a teenager, my dad warned me about a lot of things. Some things I listened, sometimes I listened to him, sometimes I didn't listen to him. And I can tell you firsthand that nothing good happens after midnight. One night about two in the morning, I had a wreck. And was I ever in trouble? All I'm saying is most of the places that are open after midnight they're not wholesome places. You're not going to, now, I, I understand, you maybe you're over at a friend's house, a godly friend's house. That, that's, 
I understand that. And your parents have said you could be over there, and that's fine. Maybe you're at fifth quarter, and, and I understand that fifth quarter, when we had fifth quarter this quarter and last year, it went from 10 to midnight. I understand all that. But I'm saying, by and large, the young people that get in trouble, people that get in trouble, it typically happens after midnight. And all I'm trying to do is say, save yourself a lot of heartache and pain. Be where you ought to be when, when the, that big hand and little hand meet at 12. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. And if you're a young person, listen, I understand. It's probably not what you want to hear. But sometimes we have to take the bad with the good, don't we? And we have to understand that, that older folks sometimes know what they're talking about. And so I want to encourage you, guard yourself. Abstain from the very appearance of evil. Stay away from the wrong kind of people and stay away from the wrong places. And if you'll do that, you're going to find out life's going to run a whole lot better for you. As we close tonight, let me ask this question. Are you a child of God? Are you a Christian? One of the great things that, one of the great things about Scripture is that the Bible tells us how to have a relationship with the Lord. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God truly loves all of us. And God loved us to the extent that he sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might enjoy life evermore. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly in John chapter 10 at verse 10. If you're here tonight and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, could I encourage you to repent of every sin, to lay aside a life that is filled with heartache and misery, it's called the world, to turn from that way of life, to confess the name of Jesus Christ before others, to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away. Peter said on Pentecost Day, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. When you do that, all your sins will be washed away. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. You'll enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. You'll have the hope of life eternal. And so, if you haven't done that, we want to appeal to you tonight to do that. We want to encourage you to do that. Wednesday night, Ray obeyed the gospel and became a New Testament Christian. And Ray can go to bed at night knowing that he's a child of God. Neil obeyed the gospel last Sunday night. He can go to bed tonight knowing he is a child of God. He's in a right relationship with the Lord. We're grateful for these two people. And you may be here tonight and you need to respond to heaven's invitation. You need to come tonight and obey the gospel. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, could we encourage you to come the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Could we pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.